You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience. It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? This season encompasses a mini theme of return, revisit, and re-examine. Because I've rebroadcasted a few episodes and asked some guests to return to the podcast. Today, David Bynum, who can be heard on Season 4, Episode 62 on here, is joining me again to discuss navigating the progression of a biological family reunion. Those of us experiencing what I label a work in progress know all too well that it can shake our foundation to the core of what we've come to understand about being in relationship with another person we have a level of concern and love for. When David was on here before, we learned about his adoption and relinquishment story, his award-winning film, From a Place of Love, My Adoption Journey, and what searching for his original family looked like from his perspective with the help of Adoption Network Cleveland, founded by Betsy Norris. In this episode, we go a bit deeper to examine our thoughts about being emotionally prepared for what could possibly be opening up Pandora's box, as David describes it once the process of reunion unfolds. David reveals why he believes staying connected with two of his siblings may have created a challenge he didn't anticipate along the way. He shares the highs and lows of being in relationship with his DNA family who had no history prior to 2018. Allow me to introduce to you, for the first time or once again, to a person who has stated that upon embarking upon search and reunion, he was on a journey of discovery. That investigation led to twists and turns that he couldn't nor anyone can predict. We both are of the belief that you can't get it wrong. But you can be mindful and intentional about learning what other adoptees like us have come to respect in hindsight. David, it is so great to be with you today again, and welcome back to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. How are you doing? I'm fine, Jennifer, and thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure to come on your podcast. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I revisited the film that you made, the wonderful film, From a Place of Love, My Adoption Journey. I just think it's so well done, as I've said, and I, I just recommend it to anyone in the adoption community, uh, maybe even outside of the adoption community, because they're bound to know somebody that's adopted. I think that it really paints a great picture of of all the boxes you need to check, so to speak, you know, like getting involved with a community that can help you navigate a journey of reunion, a journey of search. And so I first want to shout out to Adoption Network Cleveland because truly they played a very big part when you decided to search. Mm. Yes, they did. And and I'll always be thankful and grateful to them. Uh, Tracy Anders in particular. She's the one that did the leg work. But yeah, Adoption Network Cleveland does fantastic work. 
and and then just because you hear the name Cleveland doesn't mean it's just for people in Ohio. Right. Uh, they help people nationally. So that's always a great place to start if you're thinking about starting your own journey. Right. And and I do remember Betsy Norris saying during your film that even internationally there was an adoptee that had moved overseas that was born in Ohio. So yeah, like far-reaching organization and they've done a great job over many, many years. So a, a big shout out to them. And, and I really want to have Tracy on this show. And I'm wondering, are you still in touch with her? Yes. Now, you know, she got a new position as well with a kind of a DNA discovery group. I believe it's one of the smaller colleges, but it's kind of like she's she's moved on up, <laughs> you know. So, right. But yes, we, we can still get in touch. I still have all her contact information. Well, please let her know. I would love for her to be a guest on this podcast. So just throwing it okay. out there, Tracy, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> when I first heard about your story, I said, wow, we have so much in common, you know, as far as me being an only child, having a healthy upbringing with my adoptive family, the law enforcement piece uh, with you being a correctional officer, and, and I was in law enforcement as a detective. And then the oldest in reunion, right, with bio family. And, and so, so much resonates. And then searching later in life which I think you really paint a picture of how it's so important to be prepared. Uh, and there are several things that you share about that and, and how to like get on the road of what you describe as this journey of discovery is not something that you just do willy-nilly, right? Like you just don't, you just, what's the way you put it? It's the way you put it that I really liked. I'll think of it. And then the other thing is that we both, as only children, often heard people say or call us spoiled. And during the film, I chuckled because I think it was a, a family friend who mentioned that, and, and you said, still am. And I kind of chuckled because, yeah, like, we get that label. And growing up, how did that label make you feel? It made me feel... Good. I won't say special and you know different, but it made me feel good to the point that I knew I was loved. You know, there was never a doubt in my mind that that my parents cared for me and did. I, matter of fact, you hear me in there and people describe uh, I was the apple in my mother's eye, and uh, so my upbringing was so normal that adoption was never an issue until I got older you know, as I started to age. So all growing up till I was approaching senior senior status, <laughs> I, it never really bothered me. So I felt good behind having that label, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, I, I still get called spoiled. And at the same time, I think my parents wanted to make sure that I was accountable and that as an only child, uh, still needed to learn how to share and how to be mindful and intentional about others. So I think we both got that. 
Yeah, because my mother would preach all the time to, to do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And that kind of always stuck with me. You treat people the way that you would like to be treated. Right. And so that was kind of the mantra we had growing up. Yeah, same here. And I just thought of the term you used in our recording back in 2022. I think it was April. Yeah, April. With the Pandora box thing. Yeah. And you said you don't (laughs) want to enter searching on a whim. I think that's how you put it, which I said, absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. What would you, like right off the, the cuff, what would you say a person that is just embarking upon the idea of searching, what three things would you suggest they do first? Well, one of them would be to research what the journey has been for others, Um, whether through blogs, whether through listening to podcasts or watching whatever movies you you can access and try to prepare yourself that way. Understand what the journey entails and prepare yourself that way. The second thing I would advise them on is that when you make this decision to look, understand that people's lives are going to change. The people that have been your support system all of your life will feel some kind of way, whether it's happy for you, whether they feel displaced, whether they're dead set against you looking for whatever, whatever thing. So, so just be prepared for that as well, that you're going to change everybody's life. The people that you discover, their lives will never be the same. Your life will never be the same. And the people around you's lives will never be the same. So just understand that section of it too. And thirdly is understand that when you start this journey, you do not know what you're going to find at the end of the road. And, and like we said and kind of laughed at, you know, it's Pandora's box. When you start this journey and take the lid off, you don't know what's inside. So you have to be prepared for anything, whether it's a great reunion, whether it's rejection again, whether the, your uh, first family mother, bio mother hasn't told anyone. It's kind of one of those things, oh, you got to go. I haven't told anybody about you. You got to mm-hmm. go, you know. So just be prepared for any and everything that you find along the way. And understand that when you take this lid off, it's Pandora's box, and you don't know what you're going to find. Right. So be prepared. So those would be the three top things that I would advise someone about to embark on a journey. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And we're not going to talk today necessarily about your journey being relinquished and adopted. I urge everyone after you listen to this episode to go back and and listen to our recording from April 26th of 2022. We're going to talk today about the highs and lows of biological family reunion And one of the things that is kind of a mini theme this season is me returning and revisiting and reexamining past episodes and also 
by bringing guests back. So that's why I'm so happy to have you here to talk about reunion. Uh, We're both in reunion with our biological maternal and paternal sides. And it is, I think, a work in progress from really day one. To give a little background, you were born and adopted in Columbus, Ohio, and you started your search in 2018. And you would find siblings on both sides. And first of all, I want to ask you this. Were those reunions, would you consider them to be very different, similar, or how would you describe the reunion between the different sides? It was different. It was different. So I grew up as an only child. And when we found first families, I wound up being the oldest of five siblings, two on the paternal side, two on the maternal side. The sisters on the paternal side, one really didn't want to have anything to do with it off the bat. She was dead set against it. And then the younger sister participated. We did the blood test at the DNA Diagnostic Center. We did all of that to prove our paternity. Then on the maternal side, you know, I have a brother that's three years younger. So that was kind of a trip having a a younger brother. And then my sister on that side is 14 years younger. Matter of fact, the two younger sisters are 14 years younger. Everything started off great. You know, it was it was perfect. You couldn't ask for any better to be received any better. And to find out you finally had somebody that looked like you, that had certain things in common that you share blood with, all of that. So all of that was great off the rip. So then we decided to do the documentary, Documenting the Journey. And everybody participated. You know, they they were in there giving their interviews, their answers, their thoughts, all of that. And when when we put the film together and let them see it before it was released, the youngest sister on the paternal side and the brother on the maternal side, both shut down. You know, that, that was it. Haven't spoken. We haven't done anything in quite some time. I'm still in reunion with the youngest sister on the maternal side. And she she came to here in Florida and stayed with me for a weekend and uh, her and her husband. And so we've, we've remained in constant reunion. That part's never changed. The love, the affection, the, the closeness that you develop over, over reunion has not changed. But what changed is it started off great with everybody except the older sister. Started off great with everybody, but then two of them fizzled out. So that's something that you have to be prepared for in your journey. Like I said, you you may face rejection. You may face where they accept you and love you, whatever the case may be, but it can always change. That's kind of where we are with the reunion stuff now. I don't talk to paternal sisters, and I'm still in reunion with the aunts, the cousins, all of that. I'm closer to the rest of the family than I am to the sisters. And then maternal side, like I said, my brother and I haven't spoken for a couple of years, but I still remained in constant reunion with my youngest sister on the maternal side. 
So if I understood you, after you went public, so the, the documentary, is when things kind of shut down with your maternal brother? Mm-hmm. And the uh, younger sister on the paternal side. Okay. So it was one sibling from each side. Right. That, that uh, you know, said, okay, hey, I don't think this is going to work. And, and so, like I said, I was prepared. You know, I was prepared when I did the journey, that's part of what took me so long is preparing myself. Mm -hmm. So I was prepared that, you know, it could have been rejection right off the bat, but also I had to be prepared for what happened as it did happen, uh, where the siblings decided they didn't want to, to carry on any further, which is fine, which is fine. When you take this journey, you have to be willing to deal with the people that are willing to deal with you. And if someone doesn't want to deal with you, fine. The way I look at it, that's their loss. Right. So, mm -hmm. For me, I, I too was pretty public back in 2012. In fact, I remember my brother and I were on the front page of the Chicago Tribune one morning <laughs> And I knew we had taken pictures, and I knew this article was going to be out there at some point, but I never thought it would be the front page. And I remember thinking, I, I think I'm bringing everybody along to be public, and maybe that's something they don't want to do. Or, or you know, like I, I just had to kind of pause and have conversations about that. So I appreciate you sharing that maybe becoming public was... Uh, kind of a turning point because a lot of people don't want to be public. Mm -hmm. But I think in this particular case, it, it pulled on some emotions that they had never had to deal with. Right. Because none of them knew of my existence until I popped up. You know, to actually sit down and, and talk for the interview is one thing. But then when you watch the documentary, I honestly think it pulled I won't say full scabs, but it stirred some emotions that they had never had to deal with. Mm, that's So good. I really think that's part of it, right? Yeah, and you reminded me of a social worker that told me that when I surfaced, because my biological mother had made her transition, it stirred emotions for them about her, their loss of her. And I had never really thought about that, so... They're looking at me, seeing the resemblance of me to her, and the grief was coming to the surface for them in a way that I couldn't have predicted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, well, and that's part of it. I mean, and I, you'll hear me say this a thousand times. You have to be prepared for anything, for acceptance, for rejection, again. So... For them to, to kind of change in midstream, I guess, wasn't as hard as if they'd have done it right off the rip. Mm -hmm. You know, if they said, no, I don't want nothing to do with this. Don't contact us anymore. Da, 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 da. I think that would have been harder to deal with than them making a U-turn along the path, you know. Right. I'm glad you, you mentioned stirred up emotions because I think that we might not, as adoptees, be in tune with that or attuned with that if we you know, haven't thought about it or it hasn't been brought to our attention. 
even through navigating the reunion, you know, whenever we get together or or communicate in any sort of way, these emotions for them could be coming up. I mean, we certainly are probably in touch with our own, but we might not be regarding what's coming up for them. Mm. That's something that I absolutely have learned over the last just couple of years. And so, yeah, I, I would urge any adoptee to, to think about that, too. Mm-hmm. You brought up a good point uh, about uh, emotions, on the emotions. They have their emotions, and they're looking at it from their point of view. The thing that was kind of disappointing is I don't think any of them took the time to look at it from my point of view. Mm. You know, you, you have your story. I have my story. Right. And, you know, me telling my story shouldn't offend or, or doing that to you. Yeah. Because this is my story. Kind of like you said, I think publicly. And then, you know, there's still the stigma of adoption. So when you say, yeah, your mother gave a kid up back in the 50s, you know, still strikes a scar to some people because of the stigma of adoption. That's a good so that point, was, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of p- another thing about the movie we wanted to express and show about the emotions that everybody goes through because everybody spoke about how they felt in the reunion. Yeah. So it's emotional, and, and it's a two-way street. You have to understand how your Discovery family may feel and then hope that they take and look at it from your point of view. Yeah, I and then as yeah, and as you know, there was nothing uh, uh, hurtful in that documentary. The name of it's from a place of love, so there was nothing in there that was defamatory, defaming their parents. But I think they felt that seeing this, their parents giving a child up, that stigma of it still. Mm. So I think that may have played a role too. Now I'm just speaking from the way I'm observing it. I can't really speak for how they felt, you know what I mean? Or what emotions they felt to make this want to shut it down. Yeah, I get that. And and that's how we're doing, like thinking about well, what might be going on for the other person. You gave a party I'm not sure if it was a birthday party, but in the film, there was a party where you were able to bring everybody together, your mm-hmm. adoptive family and your biological family. And I immediately thought about a party I gave when I turned 50 and I was retiring. So in 2014, I threw this really big party. And one of the things that was such a highlight to me, like it still makes me feel so good is having both of the families come together for that event. So so describe how that made you feel at your party. Uh, well, you know, that what happened at that party was so uncommon. How many people get to have their biological family, new discovered biological family, both sides, paternal and maternal, along with your original family, together to celebrate like you said it was your 50th i did it on my 60th it was it was just a feeling that 
I had never felt before. I felt more loved that day at that party than I had at any other point. And, and I thanked everybody yes. for coming. Yes. You know, we had a turnout. We had quite a turnout on, on a rainy day in the shelter <laughs> uh, out at the park. But, <laughs> but we still had a great time. The rain didn't stop anything. So, yeah, I highly recommend that. You know, if, if anyone is at that point where they are in reunion with their biological family, to be able to bring everybody together, it, it was so healing for me and just a beautiful experience as they were introduced to one another and got to know one another better. We, we have not done that since then. That was really a big highlight in my life. So I, I highly recommend that. Parties are fun anyway, so... They are. And, you know, for me to celebrate turning 60, that was a milestone. Right. And, uh, you know, we ate, we drank, we danced, we did everything there. And then, like you said, to see the maternal side of the family, getting to know the paternal side of my family. Absolutely. You know, that that was that was fantastic as well. And then my in-laws, my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law, I had nieces, nephews, my stepdaughters. I had everybody there. So, you know, it just kind of spoke and made me feel good. It just kind of spoke to the way people responded to me as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of like about you. Yeah, it's really about you. mm -hmm. And it's it's really special. I hadn't yet been in reunion with my paternal side. I didn't do DNA uh, for another three years after that party. Uh, but I imagine, I can imagine them there um, because, first of all, they love they love a nice party. <laughs> and second of all, just the opportunity to see what my maternal side was like. Because, as I asked you earlier, the reunions can be so different. So my ma- maternal side was a very different reunion than my paternal side. And I think... Well, I know my paternal side had many more questions because they did not know about me versus my maternal side knew I was out out there somewhere because my birth mother had, had told them the story. And I think that makes a big difference in how people can receive you uh, when they know more to the story versus they don't. Uh, so, yeah, that's another thing I'd throw in there. But, yeah, I, I think to be able to bring everybody together uh, means a lot. And I know my adoptive family was thrilled to, to get to see, you know, who I'm related to by mm. blood. Yeah, that, that, was, that was pretty special for them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and I think my, my, my uh, adoptive family, or I call them my original family, my original family, uh, was just as intrigued as I was. You know, they were getting mingling, getting to know people. I mean, everybody already knew the story because mm-hmm. at this point, you know, it, it had been out and all of that. So, and then the local papers in Columbus picked the story up and uh, through various podcasts, yours and Damon's and a few others I had done. Um, so everybody had already knew the story. So nobody was really asking what happened type of thing, but more so just getting to know each other, you know. Yeah. And then, like you said, everybody was there for one reason, my birthday for me. Yeah. So 
that that was special. That was really special. You know, those could be one, once in a lifetime things because people are getting older. You know, and and nature's going to take its course. So, right. uh, and I'm just glad everybody came. Everybody that was there, I was so thankful for. So I'm glad they did too, and I'm glad you did that. It is sort of a once in a lifetime thing with memories that last a lifetime. <laughs> Correct, correct. And that's the good part of it. You know, you you hear horror stories about reunion, but moments like that are the good part of reunion. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you and I both, we highly recommend having a party. So keep that in mind, listeners, when you can have a party. Is there anything... Go to the park, meet at the park, everybody potluck. That too, yeah. It doesn't have to be extravagant. Right. Yeah, I agree. Is there anything you'd do different? I I was asking myself this question this morning. Anything you would do different at the beginning, the reunion of your original family? Okay, well, my my thought going in was, um, because like I said, you're going to disrupt people's lives. So my big concern was disrupting lives. So my initial concept was going to be just find out the information, do your research on the people, be satisfied that you found out where you come from, blah, blah, blah. But when that happened, you know, and I found out I had siblings and aunts still living and all of that, it was like, you know what, I got to make contact. So, So making contact with them. So if I'd have had to do anything differently, I think I would have, explained because I think where the wheels came off was behind this documentary. Mm -hmm. So I think what I would have done was maybe explained what I was trying to do with this documentary, the purpose of this documentary. And it wasn't to out anybody or do any of that, but it was to help our community, to help people that were in similar situations. So I think the one thing I would have done differently was set everybody down and made them totally, totally understand my vision and what it was I was trying to complete, make the complete package. Because like I said, I think that's where the bills came off behind that documentary. So in hindsight, I'd have done a better job explaining what it was I was trying to do so that there wouldn't have been any shock or you know, no, he didn't, <laughs> you know, so I think I'd have just done a better job of explaining uh, the purpose of the documentary. Right. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I think that I did a fairly good job of saying how public I plan to be. Open, honest, and public is kind of the way I put it about my journey because I think it, it's important for other adoptees to know they're not alone and also to just kind of explain, you know, how things kind of unfolded and and kind of why. And, and this happens in life. This is real life. Um, there are mm-hmm. plenty of adopted people, plenty of uh, people that are separated from their family of origin and what does that look like? And it, it looks different for for all of us. And yet, if we don't talk about it, then people don't 
they don't stand the chance of better understanding what that lived experience is like. So, yeah, I think most of my family, biological family and adoptive family, are more on the private side. And like you say, the there's still a stigma and that, you know, to have this information so public may not be their preference. But at the same time, I think they honored my desire to do it. Well, you know, that's why I'm so glad that people like yourself and Damon Davis, uh, quite a few others that have podcasts on adoptions, that's why it's so good to listen to these because you'll have a different point of view than Damon, who will have a different point of view than Anna Jenga, who does a, a podcast on adoption. You know, so it gives people a broad a broad look, a broader look at adoption with different perspectives. And I think that's so very important because like you said, our stories are similar, very similar, but they're different. <laughs> you know, so everyone is, is a different, every journey is different. Every do- adoption scenario is different. They all have a common thread, but there's a lot of little different nuances that took place. So that's why it's so good to have people like yourself and Damon and all the other podcasters out there. I really appreciate. And then people should really take advantage of listening to these in our community because it will help you understand not only what happens in adoption and foster community, but may make you understand what happened with your particular adoption as well. So these things are great. I'm just so thankful that people like yourself and Damon are out there getting the word out and, and educating people. Well, thank you. And and I too appreciate Damon Davis. Um, he really helped me to get this podcast off the ground and continues to be such a great support to me uh, as I learn, because I'm still learning so much. My next question, I only got a couple more is there anything that David in 2024, and I know we're just getting started with the year, would tell David of 2014? Well, it would just probably be the kind of thing that, that I've done my whole life, and that's believe and trust in your instincts. Because most people's instincts are right. Sure, we make mistakes. Not everybody's right all the time, but you'll be right more often than wrong if you just go with your gut instinct. Um, And so if that was to start begin your search then, then that's the time. In my particular case, it was so much later. I didn't live till I was 58. I would just say, trust your instincts, trust your gut, and do the things, not only on the adoption thing, but in life. Do the things that you think of. If you took the time to develop the plan, then you should work it. Let's see, that's where a lot of people fall short. Everybody has great ideals. You know, we have great ideals. But being able to see those ideals through to fruition is what a lot of people, separates a lot of people, those that do, those that don't. So I would just say trust your instincts. If you've developed a plan, work your plan. Those would be my little pieces of advice to myself 10 years ago. 
Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Now, do you still like take advantage of resources in our community? And if so, and even if it's in the past, what what would you recommend? I mean, you've mentioned the podcast. Is there anything in particular? Yeah, I, as far as preparing or not get, gaining knowledge. Well, that as well as just being able to feel a sense of groundedness and centeredness. Like I still do a lot of reading. I love to read memoirs by adoptees and really all members of the constellation. Cause it seems like I'm still learning. Like I've learned a lot. I feel like there's still so much to learn. And also I, I just enjoy how people have their own perspectives and I, I just remain open to what's new that I can use as I continue on my journey, you know, the tools that other people have picked up and, and have worked for them, how it may also work for me. Well, well, too, I'll tell you what, how I kind of stay up on it. And this is more directly from adoptees. I've joined several, probably 10 or 12 different groups on Facebook. Mm. Uh, that that support or that deal with adoption from Michigan to Washington State to places down here down south. And you know we have a million of them in the Midwest. So I kind of subscribe to each of them and that way I can read their blogs or I can read what happened when, when I went to meet my first, you know, my first encounter with meeting a new family, how people will come and explain that and their emotions and all of that. So that kind of keeps me up on lingo, keeps me up on what the younger people are going through, because you know we're uh, we're we're a little more mature <laughs> than the young. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> yeah, than the young folks, and they seem to have a different perspective than someone like you and I would have. So, but yeah, that's how I stay boned up. I stay boned up on what's going on currently with laws of sealed and the states that have closed uh, records, sealed records. And uh, so I, that's how I choose to do it, is to read. And, and then, you know, I'm a, I'm a podcaster. I love to listen to podcasts on it. So um, those are the two ways that I stay up on what's going on in our community. I like how you put that, stay boned up. I'm going to have to use that. I'm going to borrow that. (laughs) (laughs) Stay boned up, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, as usual, it is just a joy to talk to you. And I think because so many things resonate with your lived experience and mine, they just seem to parallel so, so much. And as we wrap up, is there anything that you would have added to our recording back in 2022? It seems like that's been so long ago, or, or even now for today. Anything you want to add that I didn't ask you? No, I think we covered everything. The big thing is I would encourage people to watch the movie. If you are considering your starting your own journey, I would just ask you to watch the movie. Jennifer, you can explain where all it is on Tubi because it's everywhere. Yeah. But watch the movie to give you a taste of what's going to happen. It's not going to happen verbatim the way it happened with me. 
for anybody else, but it's a roadmap for them to start their own search and to figure, understand what's going to come along the way. So I would just encourage anybody uh, that's about to start their own journey, watch the movie before you embark on your journey. Thank you. I totally agree. The film is a roadmap for sure. And you cover so much that I can recall during my journey of search and reunion. And you throw in things like, uh, I think it was managing dual loyalties. Mm -hmm. Really important key point. Like you cover things like that. And Betsy Norris explained that so well because it is a thing. It is truly an adoptee thing because, as you described, your siblings didn't experience that. <laughs> your, right. your biological siblings weren't feeling what you were feeling about having to manage these relationships that are taking, I guess, flight. I found myself trying to do that too much. You know, with, with my daughter, with, with the guy that was like my brother growing up and my wife and everybody, I was more concerned about their feelings and then how the new siblings i was trying to make things easy so i just found myself overthinking all of this you know i put too much into it instead of just letting it develop uh, generically you know right very very important guidance thank you so much for taking the time out to have this conversation with me and i'm so happy you came back because you and i yeah we're we're very mature at this point in our lives. <laughs> and and at the same time, I think we both approach this to pick up resources or find resources in the community. I think my career did prepare me to a great extent to build emotional muscles. Uh, at the same time, being a part of the community was a tremendous value to hear from other adopted people and to read as much as I could to get a sense of what I was really getting into. Because as you said, there's no turning back. It really isn't. Mm -mm. (laughs) Once you take that lid off, that's that's it. (laughs) Thank you, David. Thank you so much. All right, Jennifer. I always appreciate you coming on and and the work you're doing. And I enjoy coming on our conversations. Even when they're not recorded, I enjoy our conversations. So... It was my pleasure. One of the things I picked up right away when David and I first met a couple of years ago is his willingness to remain open to future possibilities in reunion. I can certainly relate to that, especially on the paternal side of my birth family. It resonated with me that we can make it known and communicate that we haven't chosen to never be in relationship just because someone else seems to have made that decision. I enjoyed hearing David in 2024 share the compassion and grace he would hold for David in 2014. I think that's good guidance to be gentle on ourselves before and in the midst of life changing for us and subsequently for everyone involved in the reunion. The lives of each individual is forever altered and we can only hope for the better, but it sometimes takes what only time can do. I believe it is through reading, listening to podcasts, and joining support groups, etc., that a clearer picture can come into focus of the many possibilities that is contained in reunion. 
And even still, there will likely be surprises, some better than others, that shape our grasp on why we took the journey of reunion in the first place. For me, it was about a journey of self-discovery, which I'll continue until I take my last breath. Thank you, David, for having this conversation with me once more in the hopes that at least one listener will be encouraged to hold space for the feelings that might be stirred in birth family members with the emergence of our biological connection to them and theirs to us. I'm reminded that people can have a range of emotions when new information presents itself disrupted by an adoptee. I've heard it stated many times that the road isn't linear or a straight line in reunion. There are zigzags, U-turns, and forks in the road that set us on a path worth taking in the end. I believe it can be one of the most worthwhile and once-in-a-lifetime endeavors to deepen our understanding of who we are and where we came from. If you're an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, visit JenniferDianeGhoston.com. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow and or give, hopefully, a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I trust you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is still the very best way for the show to grow. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a monthly donation of at least $5 or a one-time amount that works for you at patreon.com forward slash adopteeland. Thank you for being here.